This is the second in a series of three sermons on passages in Genesis, paired with Mark Chagall's corresponding works. Today, we not only overhear Sarah's harsh treatment of Hagar, but we imagine our own participation in this story from the perspective of racism and whiteness and of the black experience in America. Chagall's work, entitled Hagar in the Desert, will immediately follow the sermon projected for our reflection and meditation before the invitation. First, some background to the story. Hagar was not only Sarah's slave, she had a strained, complex, difficult relationship. Years earlier, as Sarah's womb remained barren, she lost faith. She lost hope that she would ever have a child. Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham in the hopes that she might have a son through her. When Hagar became visibly pregnant, Sarah perceived that Hagar began to look on Sarah in a condescending way, to see her as superior to Sarah. It's not clear, but it's clear that Sarah perceived that. Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar, and Hagar made a run for it. Years later, as we remembered last Sunday, the Lord does visit Sarah in Abraham's house, and Sarah finally gives birth to Isaac. Today, however, We're just beginning to enjoy the party when an argument erupts. Abraham has spared no expense in this traditional celebration for Isaac's having been weaned. But after the cake and ice cream, Sarah finds a private, quiet corner of the room to address Abraham after she sees Ishmael playing with Isaac. Her heart hardens. She looks at Abraham and she says, I want her out of here. Abraham says, who, who are you, what are you talking about? And she says, I don't want them in this house ever again. What do you mean? I want to see, I don't want to see her or her son on my couch or in my kitchen or in one of our bedrooms or in our yard. I don't want to lay eyes on them. Abraham is crushed. But he's my son. Well, that he is. But he'll share an inheritance with Isaac over my dead body. Abraham is crestfallen. And though God comforts Abraham in a dream and promises that Ishmael will be also the the father of a great nation, the die is cast. And Abraham agrees to banish Hagar and Ishmael. And the next morning, he sends them into the wilderness with nothing but bread and a skin of water and the clothes on their back. So the categories and the analogy that I'm working with with this text laid over American history and our own church history are not exact, but the parallels are striking. Though we usually identify Sarah and Abraham as the heroes of the story, here they are the oppressors. 
They may remind us in many ways not only of the white slave owners and the white supremacists, but also of those who enjoy white privilege today, whether, whether we know it or not. It's like a power, a principality of the kind of which Paul speaks. Sarah holds a position of power and privilege. Hagar's experience mirrors those of enslaved black people and of black people's experiences after emancipation and reconstruction and Jim Crow segregation and what Michelle Alexander today calls the new Jim Crow of the drug war and the prison industrial complex. Now, you may be thinking, Pastor, this is a lot to bite off and chew in, in mid to late June, don't you think? In fact, some of you may even be participating with us today while you're on vacation and thinking this is a little much. So I wanted to show you something I found in the pulpit. This is, uh, this is the world's smallest violin. You can't, if I hold it up to the mic, you can hear it. Anyway. So consider this sermon is meant to offer a way of understanding, a kind of relief that can be healing and redemptive for all of us, black and white. I especially want our white members to recognize an opportunity to truly see Hagar, to see Hagar, just as the many black leaders and activists in our community and across the country right now are calling on us to truly see black people, to have compassion, to repent of our sins of commission and omission, to deconstruct systems of oppression, and to build, to build a just commonwealth. So look at Hagar. See Hagar. We have to open our eyes even wider than the storyteller because Genesis won't tell us where Hagar's from. Just as many black families experience when they try to trace their ancestry, sometimes it's impossible to find parents or grandparents or great-grandparents. We don't know Hagar's parents. We don't know her grandparents. All we know is she's from Egypt. Some traditions say she's one of Pharaoh's daughters. We can't be sure. We don't even know if Hagar is her real name. It means foreigner or alien in Hebrew. Thankfully, as scholar Will de Gaffney reminds us, the Islamic version of the, the name Hagar, Hajar, means splendid and nourishing. But her Old Testament nickname reminds, uh, reminds me, anyway, of our church's practice, our church's practice, First Baptist Church of Asheville's practice in the 1800s of recording the first names of black members in the registry of membership. So in Charles DeWeese's wonderful history of our church, The Power of Freedom, he reports that Ned was received by the right hand of fellowship in February of 1834, Ned, the first black male member of First Baptist Church. Ned who? 
just Ned. Sister Julia was the very first black member of our congregation, joined in the first year, 1830. Look at Hagar. See Hagar. Banished to a desert wilderness, shut out of opportunity, cut off from native land, segregated from promised land. She is a survivor with less than meager provisions. When the bread is consumed, when the, the flask is dry, she casts her child in a bush and she retreats so that she won't have to look upon his death. My son, mama, hear Hagar. Listen to her cry of lament. Then remember that God sees her, hears her cry, and answers her. Then, remarkably, it's not Sarah, but Hagar, who gives God a name. She's the only person in all of Scripture to name God. No one gets to name God. Only God gets to name God. When we ask God for God's name, God says, I am who I am, I'll be who I'll be. Hagar gives God a name, Elroy, Elroy, the seeing God. Did you know that our church records show that in 1857, and in 1859 and 1860, the majority of our church members were black. After the Civil War, white members pushed them out. They started their own church, Nazareth First Missionary Baptist Church. It remains an active congregation less than half a mile from us all these years. In the mid-1900s, our congregation celebrated an annual Race Relations Sunday every second Sunday of February, even though for many of those years, black members were not permitted to join this church. Our congregation's inclusion of black members changed dramatically in the 1960s and 70s, but not without struggle. And our fellowship has since enjoyed the friendship and fellowship of black members who count among the most extraordinary leaders, prophets, and disciples in our congregation's nearly 200-year history. Nevertheless, the God who sees calls all of us to see one another as God sees us. I believe God is working in this new time to reveal us to one another for the sake of our salvation. I believe God is calling us to lament how much fuller our life together might have been. And I believe that God is calling us to consider just how much fuller and more beautiful our life together might yet be when those of us who have been blind yet see. With Chagall's help, we can see. Now Hagar is at the center of the work that you will see in a moment.
She occupies almost the entire frame. No Sarah, no Abraham, Hagar, and an angel. While the lines on her face disclose weary years and silent tears, she is beautiful and powerful, shaped herself like a womb around Ishmael. Brushes of blood reveal a woman full of life and passion, splendor and nourishment, a mother of a multitude, a human being who has been entrusted eternally with the privilege of naming God. Now, imagine her eyes opening. As Genesis says, God opens her eyes, she looks and she sees a well, she goes to it, she fills the skin with new water and she takes it to Ishmael to give him drink and he is revived. And then she turns to us and she pours the water from the skin onto the ground and it makes a river, a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Amen.